Frank Cavanaugh, and you're listening to Today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our Today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to. Uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our BitChute channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. So Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran-owned and operated company as well, so please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code BOONDOG10. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated entertainment cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news, entertainment information and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the show here at Domain Cleveland. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's Boondoggle. And uh, yeah, I've been wanting to make this uh, conversation happen for a little while now. We got a lot of layers of the onion to unravel and uh, stuff I wanted to pick this man's brain on. But uh, uh, without further ado, Mr. Uh, Michael Graves, formerly of the Hello. Misfits. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you again, my friend. Good um, to be here. So usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to do a little background first. So originally, what'd you want to be? You broke up there. Originally, say that again. Originally, what did you want to be when you grew up? Originally, oh man. Well, uh, a lot of things, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I, I wanted to be a... I wanted to be a preacher. <laughs> I wanted to be a downhill Olympic skier. I wanted to be an astronaut for for a minute or two. Uh, and then I wanted to be a musician. Um, yeah, I, I fell in love with 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 music um, when I was about uh, probably about ten or eleven years old. I I really music just came into me like somebody put a spell on me. Nice. So. Uh... 
So you're kind of, you kind of, you know, you accomplished that part. You're kind of a preaching musician, you know, a little bit. So you got two of those there and you enjoy the, the snow. So I don't know about the downhill <laughs> skiing part, but. <laughs> what, one of the, the joys in my life uh, is, and to this day, is skiing down a mountain as fast as I possibly can. I love skiing. Nice. So look at that. Check the boxes. Yeah. But, uh. So you said around 10, 11 is like kind of when you discovered music and were drawn to it. Uh, yeah. What was uh, some of the early music that that really caught your ear and kind of you knew this is something I want to do? No, this is dating me. So um, uh, I, I lived in a, a musical household and by musical, I, I mean that there was a lot of music available to me. We had. I remember we had a big eight-track player. We had record players, and and there was a a fine collection of of records. My my uncle lived in the house with me. My mother's younger brother, so he was hip on all the, you know, the seventies music, and uh, so there was a lot of like Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, like singer songwriter stuff, um, Rolling Stones you know, Don McLean type stuff, but there was always a radio on. So there was always, you know, pop radio on late seventies, you know, early eighties music. Um, so there was just always music on, but I, I remember, I remember having, uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates H2O record the sounds that came out of that and the and the harmonies blew my mind I, the Beach Boys I was very very young and I came across a Beach Boys record a single and it was it was Barbara Ann on one side I forget was on what was on the other side but again just the sound of of those records was just amazing to me and and even I remember my uncle playing a Bruce Springsteen record and I had never heard anything like that. And, um, so it was that, you know, it was, it was that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I, I just, it was more the way that when I heard a song or I listened to a song, the way that it made me feel that blew my mind. It, it was, it was like, a. it's, it's hard to explain. It, it's like when people, it, talk about being able to taste colors. It doesn't make sense, you know. Um, so, so yeah, uh, there, there was it, it was a lot of stuff like that. I had an older brother as well, you know, and so like he was into things like Van Halen and Ozzy Osbourne and and Megadeth and Metallica and and you know, so the first punk rock music I really heard was was through my brother as well. Nice. And then, uh, like, when was it where you knew that, like, hey, I want to actually do this. I want to create my own music and start learning to play. Um, I don't. I just remember at some point I said, I want to do this. I want to be able to to communicate. You know, I want to be able to. I want to be able to get what's inside me out so that other people can experience it. And I think that I figured out that music was communicating in that way, but it was obviously it's more, it's more of a profound communication than writing or visual. It's, it's a, it's a stimulus of a completely different part of your brain. Uh, you know, it's, it's much more on a magical supernatural level. Um, so I, I just, I remember again, my, my uncle who was living in the house at the time had this old, 
acoustic guitar that was just sitting in a closet nobody ever played anymore and i remembered that it was it was up there so um you know i guess that was like fourth fifth grade maybe because i in in fourth grade i got to take the snare drum i started playing drums and i wanted to play the saxophone and i tried i was just awful and it was just it, it sucked so uh, I, I went to play the drums, which was great because I, I was able to really develop rhythm and, and learn rhythm and and um, and develop that part and, and everything else that that built upon that really helped a lot because rhythm is everything, you know. Um, so it was probably around then, you know, fourth or fifth grade. It, it was just instant. It's like this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do is is create sound create these spells like I hear on the radio and and that I hear on these tapes and yeah and obviously then MTV came along and just you know <laughs> blown dude <laughs> yeah yeah you wanted people to taste your colors right <laughs> yeah for sure I wanted to get in on the converse I wanted to get in on that cosmic conversation yeah you know because again when when I was young and and and, and coming up you know when I, when I was young, music was, was, you know, through the eighties and into the nineties when we were watching over in, um, you know, communism fall and the Soviet union falling. And there was this, there was just like freedom, you know, it was freedom and, and, and liberty and just all of this, this goodness. And there was, you know, remember the freedom fest over in Russia was like Bon Jovi and Skid Row and all these bands and live aid, the first live aid and amnesty international. And there was just this feeling of like, wow, music is saving the world. And all of these artists, you know, remember sting and, and the first earth day with B 52s and REM. It was just this amazing feeling of, of artists and, and musicians at that point changing the world. So, um, it was really exciting, exciting as a young person to, to see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then be like, well, how can I do my part to help the world? You know, and how do I get into this part? Right. How do I get into that room? How do I yeah. do it? <laughs> so when did you like first start, like, uh, you know, playing uh, out? Like, uh, did you have like some local high school bands and stuff like that you started or? Yeah. Same same way everybody else does same way that everybody you know their genesis story mine's no different there was other kids in town that wanted to rock and roll and were very different and you know the strange ones the strange ones always wind up finding each other and we did and so i started a band me scott donahue david hogan and and mike rhodes we started a band called bambi slam and then there was another band called bambi slam so we changed it to we changed we changed it to social outcast and it's funny how things work out that my first band with with my buddies when i was in like sixth grade was, was called social outcast yeah. yeah and then like you said a bunch of you know the weirdos get together and are attracted to each other or yeah you know, another term would be like the misfits you know exactly. kind of get together so for for that segue how did that uh, whole uh, introduction happen for you and getting involved and playing with them? One of the reasons I believe that my story is the way that it is is because I, I always knew that I was going to be something. I, I always knew that I was going to be a musician. I didn't know the path. I didn't know the way. I just believed it. 
just 100% believed it and worked every day, some days harder than others, <clears throat> to hone my skills, to play, <clears throat> to, to um, just, just gave myself over to art and music and theater and all the different aspects of it in front of the camera and behind the camera. Um, <clears throat> so it was uh, in the summer times when I was in high school, I worked for a company up here in the Catskill Mountains. And my plan after high school was, was to come back up and move up to the country where I had friends, I felt comfortable, and I could play my music and have a job and just have a life up here. But when I was 18 years old, I was, you know, playing in a band, doing all my things, my good friend drowned in the Catskill Creek up here. Now, as an 18-year-old, that blew my mind. I never lost anybody like that. It was just, it blew my mind. The whole, you know, and that, when you lose somebody close to you or even not so close to you, even as you see something on the, on the TV, you go down, down that whole, um, you know, mortality thing. So as an 18-year-old, just messed up my mind, and I decided I'm not going back up there. No way. I'm going to stay home and just figure something else out. So that summer that I stayed home, I got a job. I was working as a, um, I was working for a tree company, you know, cutting down trees and putting it in the chipper and doing all that stuff. Learned that a, a long time ago from a friend of mine taught me when I was young. I told, uh, I, I told my friend's wife, uh, my, my friend's husband, he says, what are you going to be when you grow up? So I'm going to be a musician. And he goes, I got to teach you something so that you're going to have a, you know, be able to work in between. It was very, very young. And he taught me how to climb and how to cut trees and stuff. So I always had something to fall back on. It was amazing. I thought it was crazy back when I was young. But uh, so that's what I was doing. I had a band called Mopes and we needed to record a demo because we were really, really good. So I opened up the newspaper and I, I turned to my girlfriend. I, uh, it was like the Aquarian, the East Coast rocker. And I'm like, how? there's... There's 700 studios. What do I do? She said, choose the one with the biggest article because that means that those people believe in themselves. They're spending their, that money on promo. So I picked um, a studio that was in Lodi, New Jersey. Um, it was called Real Platinum. And, and so we go there, and as I'm doing the vocal part of the session, the owner of the studio, his name is Bobby Oleka, turns to me, and he, and he says, you got a really good voice, man. He says, I... I I, I'm working with these guys that um, that are getting back together. They're called the Misfits. They're working on a project here. They're looking for a singer. They're looking to get back together. I got to give you his number. Give this guy a call and go audition for them. You're great. I said, all right. And I was like, I, you know, I'm thinking death metal. I'm like, all right, you know, I can't sing death metal. But so he writes down Jerry Olney's number. I call up Jerry. Jerry says, learn as many songs as you possibly can. When you feel ready, come you know, come on up, call me. We'll come up and 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 audition. So I said, All right. I went out and I, I I bought the the compilation album, the Misfits compilation album, and boom, I put it on and I heard horror business, and I just it all clicked. I said, this is great. I got this. I got this. Um, so I, I know this is a long story, but it, it's it's crazy. So I went up there. I auditioned. It was the night before my twentieth birthday. Um, obviously I hung around for months and months and months after that, 
you know, Davinian was going to show up. They were trying to get Glenn Danzig. It was this whole thing. They put out, they put out a public call in newspapers. People showed up from all over the world, not only just in, in America, to, um, to, to sing with, with Jerry and Doyle. Um, and then, so, uh, October is approaching and the misfits have to make a, a decision. They're either going to relaunch as a band on Halloween, or they're going to have to wait another year before they do so because they're the misfits. You got to come back on Halloween, but they didn't have a singer. They had me, but they didn't have the singer. They hadn't made a commitment to me. So at the time, Typo Negative, who's from Brooklyn, New York, part, part of the New York hardcore scene, you know, very, very popular at the time, were headlining, um, uh, they were uh, headlining the Roseland Ballroom in New York City and called up the Misfits and said, why don't you guys come out during our encore set in front of 5,000 people, do a couple of songs, relaunch, it'll be great, people go nuts. So, so the Misfits go, yep, let's do that. But we don't have a singer. Do you think that Pete Steele will sing? Uh, and the Pete says, yeah, I'll, I'll sing for you guys, but I don't know any of the songs. So the Misfits guys call me up, and they say, hey, you want to teach Pete Steele these Misfit songs? I'm like, of course I do. I'm a huge typo negative fan. I was a huge typo negative fan. Went to every show... I actually gave Pete Steele a demo tape of my band a few years before this all happened. So I'm standing there in Brooklyn with Pete and the band, and we're playing, and I'm singing the songs, and he, I'm teaching him, and he stops everything. And Pete says, this is crazy. This is your singer. He says, this kid is great. He sings these songs better than anybody, certainly me. He said, this is your singer. You got to come out with him. And he went and he started doing some other stuff. And so that's how I got into the band was Pete Steele saying, this is wow. your singer. This is it. Um, and so we, we, we went out on, on that night in, in Roseland, uh, New York, and, um, and we rocked it. And, and uh, we launched the Resurrection Tour, and, and we hit it hard. It was 1994 coming into 1995 we, we did the Resurrection Tour. That's how I got into the Misfits. Dude, that's that's. I'm glad you shared that story. I didn't know that. that's sweet, man. I know it's long, but no. the long the long version is awesome. It is, man. I mean, it's, I I loved it, man. I was getting goosebumps listening to it. Um, <laughs> and it's just it made it so remarkable because I I want to stress again to you what a huge typo negative fan I was. Like I was a huge typo negative fan. I loved Life of Agony. Like I love the New York hardcore scene. And all of a sudden, my hero, like I'm, I'm standing in the room with like my hero, and he's, and I'm teaching him songs, and he stops everything. It was just, it was amazing. God bless Pete Steele, man. We stayed in contact and communication um, all the way up to, um, you know, the time that he passed away, and it's getting around the the time that that he did pass. Uh, wow. Yeah, Pete Steele, big stupid angel from Brooklyn. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like getting the, the blessing from the Godfather, you know, that, you know, yeah. you're the guy, you know, that's awesome. So, you know, what was that like then, you know, you got basically kind of anointed and you started going out on tour for the old school hardcore fans. Was there a lot of like, uh, you know, flack for like, you know, the, the Glenn Danzig uh, 
groups or, you know, what was it like filling, you know, that, that position? There, there was always that there was always, especially in the beginning, the, the, the kooky eye. Um, but it was more of a, um, it, it was like a, it was like an, it felt more like an initiation. It was, I didn't feel like people were showing up to, to get me and specifically hurt me. Well, there actually, actually there was, there was some, you know, but, uh, it was more like an initiation into this world that I had stepped into. And it, and it was a very violent world. Um, you know, pun intended and no pun intended. It was a very violent world and it was up to me and I, and I was being tested to be able to stand not only in the middle of it and be able to deal with, with, the, with the whirlwind of it, but to somehow be able to orchestrate it and control it in some sort of way. And it was very, very uh, mind-blowing for me that I, because I just thought I was just going to have to sing and do some moves and look cool. But when I started to learn about how important the misfits were to American punk rock and to European punk rock and, and to punk rock at large and how the misfits as a band influenced present day music. And at the time, these huge, amazing artists like Rob Zombie, Metallica, Marilyn Manson, all these great bands that would point to the misfits and go, yeah, you know, this is, you know, they're, they're the quintessential, they're legendary. Um, so, so here I am in the middle of all this and most of the misfits, Lore at the time was just legend. You know, everybody had said, oh, yeah, I saw the, the Misfits back in the 80s. And it's, uh, you know, the Misfits played like a handful of shows. And it was, it was the fact that there, was, there were a couple of shows that had been bootlegged and some really famous clips of, of, of these guys that everybody had seen. So everybody had this um, idea in their head that it was just supposed to be like this all out riot when they went to misfit shows. And so that's what it was, especially in the beginning in the resurrection tour, it was just, I mean, you know, there, there were still, there were still real skinhead factions, like real skinheads that would show up um, in America as well as in, in Europe. And there were still real, you know, what you would call like real punk rock you know, punk rockers. And there was, as well, there was still the, the political beefs and, and all of that that was happening that was the backdrop of, of us now coming into it and all the politics of that. Because there was this resurgence in the mid-90s of, of you know, you ha of, of like the Sex Pistols and all these bands re reforming. And we didn't want to be seen like that. Like, and we didn't want to <coughs> be seen like that. We didn't want to just be seen as capitalizing on the Glenn Danzig music. We wanted to be taken serious as a real band. Yeah. And then, um, like, so dealing with politics and all that's nothing new to you. You've, you dealt with it even back, back then getting in, involved, but how long do you think it took sure. before, um, you were like, you know, uh, you felt like you were an equal part of the new, of the, you were the misfits, you know? After the it. success, after the success of American Psycho, 
I knew that I was being tested and I knew that there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of eyes on me and there, there was a lot of pressure on me like a quarterback of the team to, to be able to artistically really artistically um, direct because I was the strongest writer of, of, of the bunch in, in my opinion. And, and so um, after the success of American Psycho and after we were able to pull that record together and it was so well received, that's when I, I said, all right, I don't have to prove, you know, I've already proved these, these things that I'm worthy. I've gotten the nod from all of these quintessential artists giving me the thumbs up. I walked out on stage um, with, with Manson. I walked out on stage with Rob Zombie. I walked out on stage with, with the guys from Metallica. I sang Green Hell and Die, Die, My Darling with the guys from Metallica. Like, I got, you know, I kissed the fucking ring. Um, yeah. So I'm good to go after American Psycho, you know. Um, so then I, 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 I knew that, that, that proving now was proving what a great performer I could be. That's, I, I stepped into that part uh, in, with, with Famous Monsters. So I got to be a profound performer. Like, like when you see f some, somebody like Freddie Mercury and you're just like, oh, my God. You know, how can you touch that? You know, or you see a great performance by somebody like Jim Morrison. Yeah. Now, and, and like, you, so w when you got in and now you're, you're, you know, you're putting out these albums and you knew you, you, you like made it. I mean, some of those hits went on to be some of the biggest hits at the, of the entire Misfits careers too under you. Yeah, almost almost a hundred million views of of a video like "Dig Up Her Bones" over the past 25, 26 years. Um, that's that's a lot. Yeah, for sure. The songs that I wrote, you know, again, like a song like "Dig Up Her Bones," I wrote when I was sixteen years old. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, I knew that I was the strongest writer. I I, I knew that, and and, and that's why. Um, you know, and, and, and that's why those records sounded so good because we were able to identify while we were making those records as, as a great team does, everybody had brought different greatness to the table. You know, the things that I did great, there were other things that I didn't do very well. And you had somebody like Chud that would be able to do those things well. And, and Doyle on his own was just, you know, he was an incredible writer and, and the riffs that he would come up with and the ideas and the breaks. And Jerry, too. Jerry, Jerry only is one of the greatest, like, um, intro, break, and ending guys in, in the whole world. Um, and just the way that it all came together when it did, when we were working in the studio, was just a, a beautiful, brilliant, magical, wonderful thing that at the time... Unfortunately, I I didn't even recognize that it was only now and then I would recognize that it was it was happening, you know, because I was a cynical asshole. Um, so years later, you know, when I reflect back on it, I'm like, wow, you know, we were really awesome. We were really awesome in 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 that way. And then, how did your uh, relationship with like you know Jerry and Doyle develop over the 
the time period? Well, you know, Jerry, um, Jerry and I, there was always a little bit of distance between Jerry and I because there was a, it was a pretty big age gap. And Jerry was, was very much like the father figure to, to, to everybody. So, you know, I, I was this, and Jerry as well, you know, he was married. He had two kids that were, that were, you know, they weren't, they weren't young, not, they weren't very old either, you know, like seven and, and uh, nine, something like that. I, I was single. I, I was just out of high school, you know, I was just a couple years out of high school. Um, so there, there was, it was it was hard to to bridge the gap with with Jerry in 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 all the things that were happening in my life, um, but but Jerry was like to me again he was like a father figure he was he um was um yeah, he was he was he was Uncle Mo uh, Doyle and I became fast buddies because we were much more apt to you know sit around and watch cartoons or. Or, or play Nintendo and work out and write and hang out and, and do stuff like that. And as well as Chud, you know, we had more in common on that sort of level. But again, all of those personalities and the way that we interacted with one another um, created this incredible dynamic as a, as, a, as a band because we had such different relationships with each other. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I, I was hard to handle back then. I, I look back on myself now, and I look in the rear view, view mirror at myself, and I'm just like, I want to get to myself and say, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I, I, was, um, I was wildly emotional, and it, it was just crazy times. It was well, crazy like times. You said, you're fresh out, of, fresh out of high school, and then you get this gig, and then you're out, you know, probably, you know, you never experienced the world before. So, you know, these, some of the, you know, a couple of those guys already had that experience. And I'll tell you, you know. what, that's also important to my story in these times as well. I started to look around me. Now there was a time where I was in my life. Like for example, Howard Stern's after party when his first movie, I, 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 I went, I remember seeing the guys from Alice in Chains. And again, I remember seeing Twiggy, Twiggy Knight from Merrill Manson used to hang out and, um, you know, it was like that. And, and I'm looking around and I'm, and I'm living this life and I'm, and in a lot of ways I still feel the same. And so I started saying to myself, I'm looking at all my musical heroes and these guys are a mess. These guys are a mess. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's sex, there's, you know, demonic worship. It's just insane. Like it's insane. And I say, you know, you start to look back and one of the things that all these guys have in common that I look to that are like my heroes, rock and roll heroes, they all go on a blaze of glory. They all die. It's just like this long list of dead people. And then you start to say to myself, well, maybe that's it. Maybe at the crossroads that you sell yourself to the devil. And that's kind of, you got to go down that path and surf that wave and, 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 and it might crash over you, but you have to. So, so I start thinking to myself, well, maybe that's the kind of lifestyle that I should lead. And I'm saying, you know, so it, there was a, a lot of that introspection going on with me because I, I didn't get into music to be famous. 
I didn't like the attention. I didn't want the attention. One of the reasons I didn't talk to the media in the beginning is because I didn't have anything to say. And I was speaking through my music. And, you know, all the great, you know, remember how Guns N' Roses were, 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 were dragged through the media. And I remember how, how cynical all the, rock star, all the rock stars were of the media and, and, and what they would do to them and, and how they would... So I, I was always like very standoffish. Um, so so during those famous monster years and, and and before the whole breakup, there was a lot of that going on. I was truly at the crossroads in those in those days. Yeah, and that's kind of bringing us up to like more current things. Like so, well, you, well, you mentioned the breakup too. Like when was it where you guys were like, okay? This that we've this ship is nailed. This is time to call, call this quits. And then you went out and started doing your own thing. Well, the first time we we broke up was it was actually before Famous Monsters. It was it was during the South America tour when when Mike Hideous came and sang for the band. But I knew that it was done um, on, on the tour that we did break up. Uh, there was just and again in looking back, per, perhaps there was a different way. I, 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 there was definitely a different way I could have gone about, gone about it and maybe should have. Um, but I was so unhappy. I, I was, I was so unhappy and I was so lost and I was hurting so bad inside. I didn't have anybody to talk to, like really talk to and turn to and say, Hey, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what's going on in my head. Like, I need help. I don't know where I am. I'm in this crazy world, and there's nobody I can call. My family was a mess. I couldn't, it's not like I could call up my dad or even my mom. There was nobody for me. And so I did a lot of passive-aggressive shit that caused problems. And then when those problems happened, I, you know, I was like the saboteur. It was like I had the IED and I would come into these situations and I would just blow them up and be like, ah, you know, and there was a reason for that. And it was because of I was immature and because of my emotions and because I was in this world that was killing me and I had nobody in it. Um, and so I really believed that I was going to die. I really believe that I, 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 I was starting to think maybe I would kill myself just to make it all stop. As, as well as, you know, say, you know, finally be able to communicate to everybody how bad I was hurting. And I said, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. Again, I'm standing at the crossroads and I said, I said, I'm going to go home. Because again, I didn't get into music for fame or for money or for any of those things. Um, and so I said, I'd rather go home back to Seaside Heights and, and be poor and no one ever know who I am than to feel this way and to be on this hellish ride. And there was nobody there to say, don't do it. Or what's happening with you? Everyone was just going, all right, go ahead. See ya. You know? So I left and I went home. And you, I mean, you felt in your heart, like, you know, this, this isn't the life I, I want. I, I chose you you know, knew that this was, there was a line you weren't going to cross with your, in your, in your soul, basically. I was scared. I was scared 
I was angry. I was lost. And I didn't know what to do. I was hoping that by my actions, like a child, it was a very immature thing that by my actions and, and saying, well, I'm just going to go home, that, the, that Jerry or Kenny or these guys that were talking about, you know, all, all of the, the, you know, somebody would step up and, and, and in the hierarchy and say, this is crazy. This is crazy. We're one of the biggest rising, most popular bands in the country. We, we're selling, you know, it's like we won a lottery ticket. We just got to keep it together. You don't have to like each other. What is wrong with you? Are you okay? What can I do to help? Why are you acting like this? Why are you mad? Why are you angry? What is going on? I love you. You know, nobody said those things at the end. In the beginning, it was different. It was all for one, one for all. But it got to a point where everybody just got scattered. And I was very young. I was very, very young. On tour with bands like Megadeth. You know, it was like big stuff. And I didn't even know how big it was. And so to me, it was just easy to say, I'm out. Because I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I feel like, I feel like there's a gun to my head. And, and I'm the one that has it to my head. Because... I couldn't control. Th it was just insane. It was in insane, and and so, um, and so I made the decision to go home and and walk away from it. And then you go home, and you kind of like get a chance to like reset, you know, get get healthy, get your health back. Um, I guess when was it that you were like, okay, but music is still my thing. Music is my passion. It's part of me. When did uh? You start doing your own stuff then. Music was, thank God, it was always there for me. Music was always there. Uh, I did a lot of surfing back then, so in between sets, and you know, I would just sit out on the ocean, and you know, I had hair, I had like long blonde hair at the time, <laughs> uh, and I, I would surf a lot. And in between sets, you know, I would just hear stuff in my head, and I always started writing. And even coming out of the Misfits. The stuff that I wrote for Famous Monsters, I wrote tons and tons of music <clears throat> for for Famous Monsters that that we didn't use for the record. It just didn't fit. So I had this I had this huge cache of music that eventually became Web of Dharma with with Graves and and Chud and I did it. But I'll tell you, you know. <sighs> When I went home in, in 2000, go, approaching 2001, my life just got even more challenging. And again, it's, 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 a, it's a long, you know, it would take many, you know, I don't, I don't think we want to get into the minutia of it, but I went home and there's just stories of, um, you know, loss and tragedy in my life and just... The very, very, very difficult things all the way through. And, and I'm not saying that I'm a victim. I'm just saying that it, my, my life was, was, became very, very tumultuous um, when, I, when I got home. It just seemed I couldn't keep anything underneath my feet. Um, I had lost all my money, had lost all my friends. I was going to marry this girl. Uh, this is what started it off, and I, I, if I'm running long, just just let me know. No, we got plenty of time, man. Um, 
so I go home from the Misfits, and again, like I said, at some point, the money runs out, and and people stop calling me. It's the same story. No, you know, uh, I had this this girl, and and I, I was gonna marry her, and and it and and it just fell apart. I wind up back up at my at my mom's house, and it's just it's it's awful. So my my mom and her friend decide. You know, they see, oh, Michael's, he's, 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 you know, he's so sad and stuff. And this, this lady, we grew up with her and, and, and her daughters. And so they get this idea. They say, well, let's hook up Michael, uh, and, um, and, and, and this lady's daughter. And so we hear about it. We're just like, oh man, you know, cause we're all, we're all, we're like brothers and sisters. And I hadn't seen her in years and years and years and years and years. Uh, so we, we, we hang out and it, and it's cool. We start talking and stuff and, and she's, she's studying and, um, she's going to be a marine biologist and she's down in like the Bahamas and, you know, I'm this ocean guy as well. Like I, I spent more time back then in the water than out of the water and long story short. So we hang out, we have this amazing time. We have this amazing time with one another. It's incredible. And, you know, we give it, she's going to go back down south and, you know, I'm going to stay here and things are going to look up and we're going to talk. It's great. She goes back down to the Bahamas and like a couple of weeks later, I hear that she hangs herself in the boat that she's living in. So, you know, it's stuff like that. It wasn't too long after that, that my friends were murdered in, in Tom's River, New Jersey. Right before, as we were rehearsing for for um, the, it was like the first or, or second Graves tour, and it was just this, you know. And then the tower, you know, the towers fall in New York City, so it's just this like, it's like this nuclear bomb has gone off in my life, and and so so after Graves, after we started writing the music for Graves and touring with Graves and Web of Dharma, and that fell apart. All of that rage was a perfect, you know, Gotham Road was a perfect vessel to put all of that into. And when I first heard that music, I knew that we were going to make it into something because it sounded like how I felt. Wow. Damn, man. That, uh, so there's so much I, I, that I heard in there. I was like, part of me was like relating to, especially like, you know, where my life was at. Like, I've almost felt like I'm listening to like, like a lead and I'm about to comment after, you know, because it's like, oh man, I felt this, you know, around nine 11, like so much just negativity happened and stuff. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about like that. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you went through all that personal stuff, with those people that you were close to, but then as a, as an American too, you know, nine 11 happened, you know, how did that, uh, you know, uh, contribute to, you know, your was, writing or it was, your, it, it was your processing. That operation, what happened in nine 11, which, and the official narrative of nine 11 is absolutely untrue, but, in, when it happened, it was the perfect trigger for, for someone like me because I had nothing. There was this huge void in my life. And so what was happening to me, I was very malleable. So when the focus of the country became, oh, my God, we're under attack, and it's like that B signal went out that goes out across a society when they're threatened 
that's why fear is is so is so often used and it's such a powerful weapon yeah i got angry again i could where i was living with in my mom's house i could see the smoke i could see the smoke and my mom who worked in mawa new jersey there's a, a part of route 17 when you're coming route 17 south where I got the the idea for Gotham Road and and the imagery of Gotham Road, you come up over the this, the high part of of the mountains over there, the uh, the Mawa Mountains, and you could look down on the on the city. And my mother loved loved this the skyscraper, and she wanted me to to paint a picture for her. And I always said, "Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to." And she came home that day crying because as she came up over that hill and saw that you could obviously you could just see the smoke coming out of the, out of out of the towers of the beautiful city that you know my mom grew up in the bronx my family's from new york you know my brother was in the city at that time it made me angry it it made me angry it made me feel like i had to defend myself my family and and the deeper core values of my country and my religion just like everybody else you know it was just like on and I had lost everything, so it was the, you know, it was it was the perfect recruiting tool for, for for somebody like me to take action. And then, like, so what kind of action did you end up taking? So I began to write and speak out about culture, about politics, about, um. You know, I, I supported the war in the beginning and I, I eventually decided to, to join the military because I didn't see that I, there was any future in music for me because Gotham Road in 2003, 2004, we started to get popular, but that's the same time that I started to really speak out. That's when I helped found conservativepunk.com. That's when the, pres- the presidential election in the United States, John Kerry and, uh, and, and Bush, and, and there was huge amounts of money being poured into leftist musical outlets and organizations. One large chunk of money fell into the hands of Mike, you know, Fat Mike from NoFX, and they started something called punkvoter.com. That's what really triggered me. In the in the midst of all this, here comes punkvoter.com. Punkvoter.com said that their mission was to um, organize and to um, sign up to to vote, register to vote, like half a million kids to half a million eighteen to twenty four year old people to vote in a block for Democrats across the board. And I said, well, that's you know. What about the other side? Like, there's no, there's nobody representing anybody with, say, any sort of conservative values or contrary debate. There's, there's none of that. And so I thought that because it was such a young audience, and because you, in order to really get into the substance of of things like economic policy, energy policy, foreign policy, domestic policy, you know, things like that. You can't just paint a broad brush. There has to be a high-resolution conversation. Facts. There has to be an intellectual debate with contrary views in order to suss it out. 
So I reached out to Punk Voter, I said, and I said all of these things. And I said that there's some people that, that agree with me, that, that love you guys. They love this band. They love that band. They love this. But if you do this, you are going to divide a community. You're going to divide a community, and someday, just like I saw in The Misfits, we're going to meet each other on the streets, and it's not going to be fucking pretty, just like it was in The Misfits. I saw some bad stuff happen between real white supremacists and ordinary people, like real white supremacists that would stop and Z-Kyle and do the whole thing, like for real. The cops showing up... And and so I said that, and they were, and they didn't care. They just said, "Go pound sand," and and I and I said, "Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as loud as I possibly can," um, and so that's what I did. I started to write, and I started to go on media, and and started to make my voice known, and I got banned, and I got canceled, and I got blacklisted, I got run out of music. Nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody would talk to me. The New York Times published an article. I had a big European tour with Gotham Road and, and an American tour, and, and it got canceled. The, the, the European promoters all sent this letter saying that they're not going to support my views and, and they're not going to give me a platform and, and no magazine should, and so everybody stopped talking to me. There was, no, there was nothing I could do. What was I going to do? I was a pariah. And Again. see, yeah, now we're getting to like, you know, I mean, one of the main things I wanted to get you on about and stuff too, give you an outlet because, you know, I'm like you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm down for like, let's have that conversation. It's like having a conversation right. is not even like allowed anymore. And it's like, that's where the, they've been good. They've infiltrated like, you know, the left has got so, so many hooks in the media, so many hooks in you know, uh, the schools, so many hooks in the unions and stuff like that. And, and it's like, you know, um, and, and they were smart to get that, you know, punk voter thing and kind of like, okay, you, you know, I mean, in the music world and stuff too, it's just like, that's been their, their angle, but they not allowing the conversation, you're trying to do the right thing and have the conversation. It seems like all media has like a left lean. It's not just on the big TV either. I mean, I read an article that you were involved with metal socks, um, about metal culture, and just keep taste the guy's left leaning, you know, spin on everything that that you had to say. And he was like, you know, um, here here's one of the quotes from it. Still, it's not difficult to understand why someone would assume Graves is a racist. There's the above photo, as well as one in which Graves proudly poses with Infowars Alex Jones. His open support of Donald Trump. Unconfirmed but not far-fetched reports that Graves was vocally against the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests and his affiliation with the Proud Boys, who had been labeled a white nationalist hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And wouldn't membership in such a group alone qualify Graves for cancellation? I I mean, I was was reading that. I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? It's like, I've had you know, the opportunity and pleasure to meet uh, some of the Proud Boys, you know, and I just see a, gr- a group of men trying to hold other men accountable and lift them up to a higher standard. I, I uh, donated to some of the drives for like winter coats and stuff like that and the fundraising, Right. you know, it's like the media has taken everything good and made it evil, you know? Yeah. And a, 
a quote like that, that's on the assumption of all that Media Matters or Southern Poverty Law Center. They not only don't do they have they, they don't have any sort of authority, but they've been outed and they're clearly a biased organization. And you can go down the, the, the rabbit hole with something like the SPLC and, and where they get their money from and what their agenda is. Um, in that as well, that, that's under the assumption that Alex Jones is a racist. And, and so what re- reality is very contrary to all of those things. But that's the spell. That's the yeah. spell, and, and that's, that's the evil that we face. That And it's the same spirit and it's the same evil and it's the same spell that for example what happened in our tiny baby born country in 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 the 1600s the Salem witch trials it's that same thing that this delusion these these this the, the delusion that some people live under that there's this there's this alternate reality that's created by, like you said, it's created by the media. It's created by the outlets and, and the, the people, the pundits, the analysts, the, the folks that are responsible for putting information out there in our three-dimensional world so that we are able to, with our receptors, our ears, our eyes, and with our discernment, to get all of that information that has to be truth. You can't manipulate truth. Socrates said those who control, you know, those who tell the stories control society. So, so you can, you can right? you can, you can raise your child to believe that the toaster in the corner is God. Like they, like, like they do in North Korea. They believe that Kim Jong-un actually makes the sun rise and fall because if you don't have contrary information, well, then how is it that you can then prove your bias? And so when you have what's happened now over the past 50 years with just a total, complete overtaking of all media outlets on a military level now, we are just fed propaganda. And it's taken hold of people who are, who have been damaged, you know, chemically, environmentally, psychologically, uh, psychically, spiritually. And um, yeah, and, and that's why there's bombs going off in, in Ukraine right now, and, and we're facing off with Russia because it's all of that is part of the military operation that is being rolled out against mankind. And you, key word that you said that I, I, I strongly agree with is discernment. You know, people yeah. today don't, I mean, they, the, the media outs on you just being lazy and not, you know, following the money. Like you said, with, uh, you know, some of those groups, you know, okay, we'll see this, uh, you know, Southern poverty law, whatever, you know, who funds the follow the money, you know, what, what agenda are they pushing? You know, nobody wants to do their homework or do any work. Nobody, you know, I mean, every morning, man, you know, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a spiritual guy. I'm in recovery. You know, I start my day, you know, trying to turn my will and life over to God. And I pray for discernment. You know, I pray for the blinders to come off. I pray to try and you know, I used to be more in the middle type guy, but you know, life and the way everything's kind of been crazy. It's like, I feel I'm getting pushed more farther and farther to one side, you know, but, um, you know, I, what I've really liked is, uh, you know, you being, you know, standing your ground and speaking out despite all the, 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 uh, 
flaming arrows that have kind of been shot at you and the cancel culture and the cancellation and, and everything. And I've liked, uh, you know, watching, you know, I'm, I'm live here in Ohio. I've been good friends with Frank Cavanaugh, mutual friend of ours, you know, like seeing you guys on, on, uh, Infowars doing the heavy metal, uh, they talking, you know, sharing what's going on. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I've just been huge. That's another reason why I wanted to get you on here to talk about like what you've personally been experienced, you know, a victim of this cancel culture mentality and how you're still standing strong and fighting for truth. I, I always, I've always had a relationship with God and Jesus has always been with me. And that's why I had such tumult right before I left the Misfits because, yeah. because broad is the road, narrow is the, the, the path, right? So, so there's a few who seek that narrow road and are able to walk it because it's, you have to come to terms with yourself and, and realize what and who you are. And by what we are, we're, we're, we're flesh and, and we all have an expiration date. And so then if we believe that there's something more, and I always believed that there was something more, and that's why it didn't make sense to me. My flesh wants all of these things. My flesh wants drugs. My flesh wants alcohol and sex and all of those models and those hot chicks that I could have and all of those things. My, my flesh wants the lights and, 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 you know, and to see myself in the, in the magazines and, but that doesn't make me comfortable and that never made me whole. And so, you know, then it started to make sense to me about seeking treasure in heaven and not in, in this world. And it, it's hard, it's hard to not follow my heart. It's, it's hard for all, all of us to not follow our hearts because above all things, the heart, you know, the heart's deceitful and, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's beyond, uh, you know, redeemable. And that, and, and so that means that we're broken our, our heart, no matter what we do, it's, it's, it's a human heart and it's deceitful among above all things. Scripture says above all things. And so we can't trust that heart. And so what do we do? That's where discernment comes in, but there's a trick to that, right? In order yeah. for us to receive that discernment, we have to have a relationship with God. We have to accept First, that we're sinful and we have to repent our sins and say, oh, man, I got to change. I got to change. I got to give all these things over. I can't follow my heart because my heart's going to, you know, land me with a with a shotgun in my mouth and, and, and a kilo of cocaine next to me. Um, so you got to give all those things over. And, and when you do and when I did that, you know, discernment then through that, through repentance and 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 giving my life over to Jesus and, and, and once again, you know, claiming publicly that, that I believe that he is who he was, he is and who he was and what he did for me. And that's when discernment comes into your heart. And that's when we get the GPS of the Lord with us that we need. Right. Um, Yeah. And, and and like, it sounded like, you know, even back, I don't know where you were like spiritually when, when you made the decision to leave, the misfits, but it sounds like conviction. It sounds like, you know, the Holy spirit was convicting you. That I had enough not where you. Yeah. I had be. enough discernment that, that the Lord was saying to me that you are not ready for this, that perhaps you're not ready because you are all over the place right now. You have taken 
I, it was like I took my treasure and you know and I I left the farm, like prodigal, like yeah. the like the prodigal son, yeah. and I was laying down with the pigs and I was becoming the a, a pig, and I had to and and like that young man did, he, he stood up and said and said you know I, I will I will arise and go and that's what I did and I didn't even know that I was doing it wasn't like I was making some you know. I didn't make some big statement like I am going to change my life and give it to God. I just, I just knew that I had to get on a different wave and I had been pushed to a point to really look at myself and stand at those crossroads where the devil is. They say that he's in a nice suit. He comes as somebody that looks very familiar and speaks in a nice voice, money and boats. Oh, the women, bro, the women. Oh my God. You know what I'm saying? Like anything yeah. and everything is a phone call away. But you know, w- what does a man gain if he pro if he gains the whole world and, and, loses and loses soul. his soul in the process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so those were heavy things f- for me that, that, um, that I, I, I had to swallow and it was a very, very different. And that's why, that's why Damien Eccles to me was a blessing to be able to, to be in that world and, and, and to learn all the things that I, that I did learn. And, um, you know, and, and so I always, even now, obviously much more profoundly, I, I, I seek treasure in heaven and not here on, on earth. And, and, and I don't worry about things so much, you know, like that. Um, I just try to make the world a better place for my children, for my fans. I, yeah, the ability to have such meaningful inter interactions with with people is just—it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Now you just uh, touched on—you mentioned uh, uh, Damian Eccles from the West Memphis Three and stuff. You care to elaborate a little bit about? Some parts of the Christian community hate this because they <laughs> they really haven't been briefed on 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 it all. Uh, in the early '90s, Damian, Jason, just three West Memphis, Arkansas teenagers were were blamed for the horrible murder of three young boys and it was said to be a satanic ritual killing and the the trial that happened was just a terrible sham trial and the evidence was a forced confession by a um uh, neurologically deficient young man um, who didn't know that he was making a confession the way that, that he did. He just wanted to go home. It was like textbook f- forced confession type stuff. All three of these men are, are, are free today. Th- there was never any real evidence that tied them together. For example, the first, when the trial opened up in, in Arkansas in the 90s, the first thing that the prosecution entered into evidence and was serious about it was that there was a full moon the night the boys were uh, killed. Um, so, so Damien Eccles was, was sentenced to death um, and was on death row for many, many, many years. And I came across a book that he had read after I, I saw a movie that HBO had produced called Paradise Lost about his case. And I reached out to Damien, I reached out to his wife, and I wanted to help them you know, I wanted to help them and I wanted to help other less fortunate people that were 
had been lost in our justice system and maybe they didn't have enough money for a lawyer or didn't have an HBO documentary made for them, you know. I'm listening. I got to grab something real quick. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so that's what I did. You know, I, I reached out and started writing letters back and forth with Damien and we came up with the idea to do this creative project together, which became him and I writing uh, these songs that I eventually recorded and, and released. It was called uh, uh, Illusions. And again, you know, uh, a lot of the, the, the Christian community got mad at me because of the whole devil thing and, you know, because it had to do with uh, children who had, had been murdered. And it was, it, I found that there was a lot of ignorance. And even now, I did a, I, I have a podcast on censored TV that I do. I call it a barn cast. And yeah. I and I, I covered it and I, I I was talking about it because even to this day there's there's updates to the case and there's things happening, and I just got a lot of like, email and, and communication like oh how can you call yourself a Christian and you know what advocate for somebody's life and dignity I don't know <laughs> you know I don't know it's horrible it's a horrible thing to do yeah you know and and I mean sometimes the biggest uh, I guess roadblock for any person that's like searching and looking for a relationship like we have, you know, and having faith is, is the Christians themselves, you know, sometimes they can, they get in their own way and, you know, yeah, yeah, and for sure. So definitely, but yeah, I was, I just, you know, when you were talking about you know, like your journey and your declaration with your faith, and then you mentioned, you know, Damien Eccles, I'm like, well, what role did he play in that? You know, that's why I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that. Well, because I imagine myself in Damien's shoes. When we started to write together, when he would send me lyrics, he would describe what he was going through and what it was like to be in, in a concrete cell for so many years and to have to sit there and really really examine your your mortality where where there's a there's an expedited clock uh, against you where the state is going to kill you you're going to be killed there's people looking to kill you and you're hated and your your eyesight's going and there's physical impairments and there's spiritual impairments um so i i i was putting myself in that in that place um, of darkness and and we were communicating and reaching each other on a very human level and I had never experienced anything like that and as I read more and gotten involved a little bit with the uh, um, organizations like the Innocence Project uh, I, I learned a lot about uh, the American justice system and 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 how messed up it is and how it really is those are my docs sorry <laughs> uh, and, and, in a row. <laughs> and how it really is in this case in, in the American South, there's a lot of, of uh, you know, poor, uh, especially poor black people that were just lost in the system sometimes left to die in prisons. And, and there was very, there was not a lot of advocating for them, um, especially in the community that I was in again, like the horror punk community. And, and so that, 
you know, basking in that type of darkness helped me recognize the the light a lot more and 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 find comfort in in a god and all creating all powerful god that loves all of us um and i was doing projects like that at the time because i wanted to as i do today i want to lead by example i was hoping that the other people in this horror punk genre community of bands and artists would follow suit and say, well, Michael Gray is from the Misfits. He's doing all these things. He's using his artistic abilities, his talents to serve the community and serve people and serve humanity. Um, maybe we should do the same. Maybe there should be this, this um, human element to it, not just ghosts and monsters and, you know, how scary we can look on stage. Uh, but fortunately, that really didn't happen. Everybody just calls me a Nazi and a racist and, you know. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> too, I remember, you know, with that particular situation, too, it seemed like, it seemed like more of the, the musicians and stuff that got recognized for getting involved with that. It was more like a self-serving type thing, you know. It was just like, yeah, we're kind of bringing attention to this, but it's like we're bringing attention to us, too, you know. Yeah, I'll be honest with you guys, like – um uh, Eddie Vedder and, um, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Johnny, um, Depp. Johnny Depp. Those dudes definitely need to be commended, especially Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder and Johnny Depp did a lot of stuff behind the scenes that nobody knows about that was just a, a really beautiful human thing. And and really help those guys. So um, that definitely need, needs to to be those guys need to be commended for sure. That's good. Now um, I wanted to ask too. You know, I mean, I got you see the sign in the background. I know it's kind of like your thing with your fans, but uh, you want to talk a little bit about the Grave Diggers Union? Sure. Uh, Grave Diggers Union. It's it's it was a Funny thing that we came up with in graves, you know, back in the in the early two thousands, it was you know the grave diggers like oh they they dig graves, get it? They it's it's <laughs> they dig graves and they dig Michael Graves. Um, so it's just this, the the fan club. It's just another way to to you know, it's the banner that that we put things under that I guess is through the filter of people that are really, really into, into the band and into what I'm doing. And yeah, it's, it's just the ongoing fan club. The one, 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 nine thing people always ask about. And the short version of that is when I was young, weird shit used to happen to me. I used to have like these outer body experiences, you know, sleep paralysis. One night I woke up, I was young, you know, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. Uh, I woke up and I remember like floating above my bed and, and I could see the alarm clock down below and it was 11, 19 PM. And, and so that number is like, it reoccurs. It's a reoccurring number in my life. I see like it a, with a the 11, lot. 11 type thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Gotcha. And then, uh, kind of like, 
going back like to you know what we were just talking about because I, I wanted to ask you this as well is like you know what happened i mean you were there around the time of like you know you know with, with getting dubbed by you know getting anointed by peter still and you were there in the new york hardcore you're around the punk scene i mean you played in, in that what happened to our our punk and hardcore scene where it was like anti-government anti-the man anti-this and then today it's just like you know if you want to come to our show you. you can't be anti-vax or whatever I'll tell you, you know <laughs> because sometime in the 90s in the early 90s as cultural things and, and societal, th- large societal things started to happen, um, you know, a lot of people started to to move out of the cities and into the suburbs. There was there was a huge societal thing happening. So the the punk rock mu- movement, both in America and in Europe, both came out of the cities, and it was always working class people. It came out of a working class ethic, family, friends, respect working hard, pulling up your bootstraps, going to work, solving your own problems, not relying on government, not relying on anything else but yourself and your family, your friends, and, and, and your, your virtue, the things that you have. That's what the New York hardcore scene still is and, 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 and was back then. But what happened to punk rock was after, you know, it, uh, after it really kind of died, in in the cities, right, and and it and it became, you know, the the days of Guns and Roses and stuff like that. That punk rock aesthetic became mainstream, but but with the onset of grunge, it was connected to punk rock. But but the message that was being given by that was, you just have to be mediocre. Remember, like punk rock, you don't even have to. Oh, your guitar's not tuned. You guys suck. Oh, it's punk rock. Oh, I'm not going to get out of bed till two o'clock. My hair's all messy and I don't care about anything. Punk rock. Like that was never it. That was never it at all. It was always work hard, push back against a fascist communist government, liberty and freedom. Those are the things that we have to strive for. Acceptance of other people, acceptance of, of mutant creatures, the misfits of, of the dregs of society. That's where we all met up with punk rock. But that's where that split happened. So hardcore looks and is much more like punk rock is naturally even the politics of it where then uh, punk rock itself became this lazy fascist in and of itself because all the militant political parts of, of um, you know, the, the, the fascist things that were in the, the white supremacist part of, of everything, the Nazi part of the things in the, in the eighties that were pushed out of punk rock and, and, and beaten. And all of those things started to seep into all of the, the communications and the magazines, the zines and the, the, and the music as well. And so punk rock became this very angry, horrible, it became Antifa. That's, and that's what I had been saying. That's what I had been saying back then and all through it saying that this is what's going to happen. You're going to create something. I, I didn't call it Antifa back then, but you're going to create Antifa. And then the, you know, the people that are like the New York, the hardcore type, you know, people, the conservative, we're going to meet on the streets and then it's not going to be pretty. So then you have something like Antifa proud boy, if you will, the two opposite ends of, of the, of the spectrums all these years later. Just as yeah. I fucking said. 
Yeah, because no one wanted to come to the table and have conversation. You know, right. And I said, if we don't, right. And I said, if we don't do that, people are going to get hurt and people are going to die. I seen back in the day in Detroit, a bunch of white skinheads, the riot broke out at this show. And these skinheads had took this kid, this young kid's face. Doyle and I were running past them and we saw it. And they were rubbing this kid's face on the sidewalk, rubbing the skin, like grinding his face. It was like a horror movie. So again, like when people in real time, whether it's my ex-band mates or any of these lunatic beta male fools that call themselves journalists, metal journalists or punk journalists, when they call me a racist or, oh, you, you know, he might be racist. Or, pff, I've, I've fought more Nazis than I could remember. Li- like literally, literally yeah. fought them. So I'm not a racist or, or a white supremacist or any of these, these stupid things that, that they think well, that I've like become the, the symbol of. That's like they're, you know, like reach in. I have no way to argue or debate this person. So reach in bag. Okay. You're this ism or that is, or, you know, we're just going to throw, throw a label on you. And, and that, and, and that's that tried to shut down the conversation because no one wants to keep you know, having that like spotlight put on most people will be like, all right, and just shut up because they don't want to face that, you know, but we have to, we have to stand up and say, no, that is not who I am. I mean, we got a place here called Speaking Tongues. I remember being at a show, you know, it was a DIY punk show and, and all of a sudden these dudes start jumping the middle of the pit and they start zig highland and we like, we weren't having it, man. We had them up on the frigging stage. I'm pulling suspenders and letting them snap back on, you know, it was just like, there was none of that. And, and, but now, you know, I went and served my country. I'm, I'm, I'm work. I try and be a, a man with some values and raise my family. Right. I've got, you know, approaching 13 years of sobriety, you know, uh, I have faith in, in Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. You know, I am like, I'm the worst, you know, I must be a racist. I must be this. I must be that, you know, it's like, it, it's bizarre world, man. What, what's good is, is bad. You know, and it's not just the media because it's carrying on in the in the culture, and it scares the hell out of me of what our kids are growing up in right now. But I got to try and lay the foundation, like mm-hmm. you know, today with them because we have to be able to have discussions. We have to yes. be able to talk. Yes, and and as believers know that the physical battle, the three dimensional battle that we're having, the 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 way that we interact with each other, physical, and the things that we do and the things that we say. There's also that spiritual battle. The things that are happening now, there's consequences in the, it just beyond the veil in the spiritual world as well. So people ask, well, what can I do? You know, oh, you know, anything that you do, anything that you do sends out that psychic signal. That same thing that, 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 that you know, that energy that comes out of you just by trying, just by having the, the will to do it and by doing it for the good of your children, for the good of other people's children, for the good, for the, the light of God. And, and so that his kingdom, you know, can be here and, and we don't have things like war and we can do things like build escalators to the moon. I don't, I don't want my children growing up in, uh, on a prison planet. I, I don't want my, ch- my children growing up with what they currently have planned for our future. I would rather die. I would rather die because I know that the righteousness of my life here will, will carry me over to what's most important is the salvation of my soul. Yeah, exactly. And like, 
sitting back and just not speaking up at all is, is like making just, is making yeah a hundred percent if you don't you might as well just jump to the other side and 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 run that way because if you can't there can't be in this spiritual battle you can't be like sitting in the bleachers man if you you're alive if you're alive today and you do not make a choice about which side you're on you still have made a choice and it says in scripture that the Lord will vomit those type of people out of their mouth. You can't just sit yeah. in the middle, right? You just can't sit in the middle and be apathetic. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like, you know, part of my, re- you know, part of my reasoning why I, I, I do this podcast, you know, I try and get, give everybody a platform, but at the same time, it's just like, I know where my roots are. And if I don't sit and say anything or try and present, give other people an opportunity to get words out there. Um, you know, what have, what have I done? You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, re- I'm retired military. I, I, I raised my right hand and it wasn't just for, I'm just going over there to help white people. No, right. it was for all Americans, all people, you know? And now it's like after that time in, you know, with time and, and, and having children of my own. And it, it's like, I want to, I want to, I want the good in the world to, to, you know, grow and, and, and spiritually. And I want to believe in that great awakening, you know, that we're all going to come to, to paradise together, you know? Absolutely. But but it's like, uh, like you mentioned earlier, which, you know, I definitely wanted to, to cover with you too, before we get ready to wrap up is, you know, you mentioned you ha- be willing to walk that narrow path, which, you know, happens to be the name of your upcoming tour, which I want to give you opportunity to, to plug and, and talk about. But, you know, if you want for our audience, explain more too, like why you chose that name and what that name means to you for the tour. I chose that name because I feel like we're at a point in time where people have to make a decision when obviously we, we hope that as my mom would say, cooler heads will prevail. We are as close to destruction as a, as on a planetary level than, than we've ever been. And so it's there's a there's a personal side of why I called it the narrow path tour so that people would then ask me that and I can tell them my testimony well let me tell you how I've gotten on the narrow path I thought that as well again with what I've been through in in the past what a lot of people have been through in the past couple of years with with my band leaving me and and you know the 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 type of people that have now that are now in my circle i thought it's a reflection of of my life as well the you know the narrow path um tour so uh it's it's an acoustic tour it's it's almost oh god i don't know how many performances it is it's between 40 and 50 performances mostly private shows uh, because of all the cancellations and the difficulties that I have being hated and being the symbol of all things uh, that that liberals love to hate, 
um, I, I had to be innovative and, and stay one step ahead. And, and so for many years now, I've, I've gotten myself to this place where I have, and, and it, it's, it's growing. It's amazing where, where I'm able to do these private shows where I, I literally, I just, I go to people's houses. I show up at people's houses and sometimes in their backyard, sometimes in their basement, sometimes in the living room, I do these acoustic shows for them that are incredible. And we sit there, sometimes we, we talk. There's shows that I put together where there's this whole presentation where I put my makeup on, I transform into the skeleton guy, and I bring you through this whole experience of how I, 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 I came up with the makeup. And again, and, and it's, it's, it's like secretly telling my testimony of, of how I got on that narrow path and how I found God and where I am at today. And, and then it's celebrated through music. Um, so it's this new, you know, Nobody else in the music industry can do this, much less is doing it. So it's this very, very unique, amazingly human thing. Because, like I said, I, I walk into these in people's houses and it's like, this is grandma and this is Uncle Brian and, you know, that's Aunt Stewart and this is, you know, and the pictures of... And I really get to meet people and get to know them and hear their story. And so it's, it's just a... It, it's an amazing thing, like I said, and you know, 40, 50 performances after all the 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 Chinese flu stuff and all the the lockdowns, like my industry has been destroyed. There's bands, there's guys that are excited, like, oh, we're gonna go out, we're gonna go out on tour, we're gonna do two dates, three dates, Pfft, whatever. We were doing that when we were when we were kids. Here I am able to do 40, 50 dates with just me and and, and my buddy Arturo. Yeah. We do everything ourselves. Everything. It is DIY like you've never seen before. And, yeah, I love the intimacy about it that you just described. But, like, after years of being a touring musician before cancel culture, I mean, you had to, like, have what you thought was a good relationship with some venues that you played that you used to go through and play. Yeah. I mean, how was that? At first, when you were found out, you were no longer welcome, basically. There's, there's always a part of me that is, that's hurt, that's disappointed, because it doesn't matter what my reputation is or was. I had a great reputation, all, as well as all the people that I've always traveled with have always been stand-up dudes. They, 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 they're, they're always respectful. It's always a good time. Everybody's professional. We... It's, it was always great. Uh, but I, I knew, I, I knew that as things were, were ramping up again, this is a kind of old hat for me. 2004 was the first time I got canceled and censored and blacklisted and called racist and Nazis and you know, that whole, that whole thing. Um, but I, I knew that it was at a different level now because even though there were some venues and people, promoters, agents that I had, relationships with that were put under pressure now because if they were associated with me again i become a symbol of something there's nothing that anybody could ever point to other than a, a lifelong dedication to mankind and a duty to my fellow citizens and always trying to do things out of love and service to people um so these people that that I did, they would get pressure from other people, other bands, other, other opportunities, 
you know, you're going to work with Michael Graves. We, we, well, we're going to take our business elsewhere. So other people that I knew, obviously, you know, they got families, they got things going on. And they say, hey, Michael, this is going to hurt me. I, I love you, kid, but we, we got to take two steps back, okay? What am I going to say? You know, I say, and I said to them, I understand. Right now I need somebody, I need you to stand up for me and say, no, this is, this is not what reality is. Michael is a good guy. Michael is a good guy. He's not a racist. I, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, but I, but I understand, I, I understand. Uh, it, it's, and, and that's what makes me different than most of the people that I've come across and most to all of the people in this bullshit horror community, whether it's the guys in my ex band or any of those other bands that I've ever touched that have said nothing at all, at all. Um, because, because everyone was just silent and I calling me a racist and a Nazi and these things like that's my name. Like I'm a man. My, my reputation precedes me. There's nothing that anybody could ever point to to give any sort of credence, like real-world truth, that I'm any of those things. And to my last dying breath, I'll push back against that because I know what real Nazis are. I've been to Birkenau, Auschwitz. I've read more. I've forgotten more about World War II and the, and, and the death camps and all the politics and the history of all of those things than most of these fools that are calling me these things have ever known. So, um, again, again, you know, um, for me to just shrink back is just not ever, ever going to happen because I, I'm willing to, as I, as people can now plan, I'm willing to lose it all, lose it all. Just like my forefathers, just like my father, my grandfather who fought Nazis, both of them, and their brother who died in World War II, just like all of the the brothers like you who have taken the oath to my last dying breath. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, and you know, I was just thinking too. It's just like these people not speak. I mean, these people like should it's why don't they have the courage to, to to speak up that that we're associated with you all these years and say you know what i know michael and that's not who he is people are Everybody you know ran. they don't want to lose their meal ticket they don't want to lose their whatever i know so many people that were uh you know like secretly like hey man you know i really like you know like we'll say you know i was really a big trump fan but man if my bandmates knew that I, you know or if my label found out oh no no so you know keep that under the or the opposite, the ones that have come out and spoken have been having to deal with the same, same crap that, that you've had to deal with just over one, lack you know, of courage, lack of courage, lack of conviction. These people like the guys that used to be in my band, they don't have any sort of moral compass. They don't have that discernment. They don't have the fortitude and, and are not anchored to things that would then cause them to say, Wait a second. I know this guy. He loves us. He he loves us. He loves other people. He's dedicated his life. You can't say this about him. I may not I may not uh uh agree with him on everything that he says, but but you're attacking him. They're making me lower than than a dog. They're making it a, a, they were making it oh, like I have to train. When I went back out on the road for the Ameripalooza tour, I literally 
had to train tactically, offensively and defensively again with a handgun to protect myself and move in and out of buildings publicly because they were, it was at that level of threat. I shouldn't have to live like that. I'm in a friggin' band. And again, these, yeah. these people that, that had ridden my coattails and, and were with me, guitar players, bass players, drummers, other band, you know, other bands that I worked with and that were helping and that I championed, these guys went silent. And at the worst, at, the, at a critical time, at a critical time, I was being attacked. My family was being attacked. My business was being attacked. Anything that I had ever touched, that was being attacked too. These guys all left. They said, we're out because they didn't want to get canceled from Facebook. They didn't want to have to, you know, look bad or, or have a stain on them. Meanwhile, I mean, the things that we, we had been together and, and the work that we had over the years, all of these wonderful things that we had created, all of this great stuff that as a community, as a circle of friends, we could have come together and said, look at it, we, we don't agree on, we can't even agree on what we're going to get at McDonald's to get yeah. together, but, but we make it work. And, and say what you want about Michael, call him whatever you want, but you cannot, you cannot throw a word around like racist or Nazi or bigot or homophobe without any real context or truth. You can't do it. But there was no, there, there was nothing that they were anchored to. And so, you know, and, and so they gave, it was like they poured gasoline on the fire. And once the, my band members and, and the people who were part of my organization, when all those people left, they were like, see, now what are you going to do, racist, Nazi? Yeah. It's just like that article that I, I quoted earlier, too. It's just like, oh, you know, he, he supported this, this uh, politician. He supported, uh, you know, he's a, here, here he is in a picture with this guy. And we know that this guy is, you know, there's... And, it's just ridiculous, you know. It's just yeah. I, it's why I wanted to get you on so bad is just to give you an opportunity to uh, to share your story, you know, and um, let the truth be, you know, for let those with ears hear, you know. Just pray that those that need to hear and are open to hearing, you know, that that hearts can be. I know that most of my audience, most of my fans, are are men. And between the ages of like, you know, 20 something and 40 something, most of them. And one of the reasons that I got involved and joined the Proud Boys is other than I didn't want to overthrow the country with fascist, you know, communist, Marxist, uh, Leninist, you know, view and, and all the things that they got behind. Uh, I, I, I knew what the, the core of the Proud Boys was and, and there was goodness there. And I knew that a lot of young guys that perhaps needed uh, to, to, to have older uh, mentors, you know, like to, to look up to other men to, to fashion themselves out of. Um, that's where I want, and my role still is as a proud boy and, and representing that and, and that sort of thing. And that's why I, I talk so much about spirituality. That's why I talk so much about living clean and the things that you can do to live clean. And that's why I speak out to give people the ability to say, well, look at him. I mean, he's, he's Michael Graves and, 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 and hopefully impart strength and maybe a little bit of wisdom and, and, and gather as many of these souls 
um, at, at the foot of the cross as I, as I possibly can so that they can free their minds from, from the blackness and the darkness and horrible things that, that happen and become you when, when you lose that light and when you're lost out there in the wilderness and don't have God in your life. And I think I'm able to speak to it because when you look at pictures of Michael Gray's again, why the, the Christian community, when I, you know, when I go on these shows and people talk to me, they're like, what? Michael Gray's going to talk about Jesus. Look at this picture of him. What? And I always tell them, what's the point of God putting me out there in a room full of believers? That's easy. That's easy. God sent me into these dark ass places to bring the light places where these Christians who are pointing fingers at me saying how unchristian I am won't go and will and cannot talk to these kids because they laugh at them. Ha ha ha. But not me. I'm, I'm able to reach them and show them, um, you know, in a lot of ways how Jesus is not only a lamb, but he, he's a lion and, and, and be able to reach them. And, um, and, and so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. And, and that's why I'm, I, I appreciate coming on your show too. I hope that I, I impart that on even just one person that'll catch this, this uh, episode of yours. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And there's like, uh, you know, we're, we're still flawed men, you know, try even with when our hearts trying to do the right thing and we pray for God's will and not ours, we're still flawed. And that's why it's good to surround ourselves with other men that are trying and striving for the right thing and, and accountability. You know, I need accountability every day in my life, man. You know, we can fill uh, we can fill another cup, you know, hour and a half, two hours with, I mean, you know, it, yeah, with, exactly. With flaws and things that 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 yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> well, I, and then you'd be well, you'd be welcome back on any time, man. Because this well, is a great you. conversation, man. I appreciate it. Before we get ready and wrap up, though, what's uh yeah. something that you feel you can uh, still improve upon and learn? Oh man, in my life, yeah. <sighs> you know, I'm my I'm my own worst enemy, like like anybody else. I need to improve on 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 lots of things like everybody else. Sometimes my you know I look in the mirror. I I I I you know uh, I I can approve improve on my uh, you know giving confidence my to myself that I can do things that I know that I can do, but the voice in my head tells me that I'm not good enough to to, to do. Um, I'll give you an an example. I've been to so many different studios in and out with, with people trying to record, trying to find this sound with my new songs. And it's just, and all along, since I was very, very young, I've, I've, I've been recording. Um, and I didn't have the confidence in myself. I kept on saying like, Oh, I I can't do it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. And then, uh, just about the, in the, the beginning of the year and, um, you know, I'll, I'll give a plug for the guys at Infowars again. I, I that organization, Alex Jones was was there for me when when nobody else was, and Owen Schroyer and and the and the and the the people behind the scenes there are, are just. I pray for them. They're they're a blessing um, to all of us. Um, I, I went through Alex Jones released something called Reset Wars, and it was it was spiritual. It was connected to politics. It was connected to like history. It was just an amazing thing. 
Um, and it was, it was, it was very profound and it really helped me organize my mind and say that the things that are in my mind, these viruses that I have, these, these voices that, that are, you know, like the record playing, I have the power and it's the same thing, right? Our, our, you know, we heard it in the military, you hear it by, by leaders of, of great men that we have the power. All we have to do is make the decision to, to change our lives. Um, I was in a really dark place and, and I, I, I was sick, you know, a year ago, it, it was, it was just an awful thing. I'd lo- you know, I was just like turning into this thing, like, ah! and I realized it's me. All I have to do is make the decision to get up and go and stand up and change my life and, 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 and not, you know, so, so there's a lot that, that I need to improve on. I, I work on stuff every day. Um, you know, I've committed myself to, to going back to the gym. I'm training to go out on this tour that we talked about. And, um, I, I push myself again. Like when I was young, I, I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of muscle mass. Um, and so I've committed myself again to a lot of things that I hadn't been doing. I hate getting up in the morning. It was one of the, I hate getting up in the morning. So I push myself, I get up six 15 and I'm in the gym by seven, you know, 7 AM. And, and, and I push myself to, to work harder up my, my, my podcast. And I've been recording my own music and, you know, I got Pete Prada from, from the offspring playing drums for me on some tunes and Frank Cavanaugh. And, yeah. Um, so I've, I've really changed my, my life around, uh, and, and made decisions to just make my, myself better and anybody can do it. <laughs> anybody can do it. You well, have I needed to, make to hear decisions. that myself, man. Cause I struggle with that negative voice and letting that win. And I'm definitely not a morning yeah. person either, man. So, you know, at some point, and I, I, I always say this again, when I'm, when I'm preaching to young people, and and I have kids as well, and it's always the same thing. I have I raise animals too. I live on a small farm. The the you know, we've all heard you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's a profound statement because we are given the that the ability to choose as humans, and it's a powerful thing. Weapons don't change the world. Wars don't change the world. Famine, vi- what changes the world are our, our thoughts. As soon as we change our, our thoughts, everything can change. And only we are the only ones that have the opportunity, you know, to make the, those decisions. And it's a very powerful thing. And that's why the decision to, again, to not accept, for example, not accept Jesus or, or, or to accept Jesus, that's a huge thing. Maybe you, you do, you know that you have to change something in your life. You know it. And the only person that can take that first step, nobody in the world can make that for you. You yourself have to do that. And it's, and sometimes that's why people like us, you know, believers, you say, well, I don't have the human strength. Of course you don't have the human strength. That's why you need God. That's why I need God because I, I don't have the strength to do this myself. These kids in the farm and the, the pressure of the public and the music, I can't keep that all together. It's only by the grace of God and his, and his mercy on me and the discernment and the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit and all these things that gets me through. It's really the only thing. Um, and, and, and so we have to make that decision. And that's the door, right? That's Jesus knocking on the door. You just got to open the door. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So like Nike says, you just do it. 
just nice. jump, just jump, just get out of the plane. And there's that, and there's that, that, there's that preacher that we talked about at the beginning too. You know, I mean, yeah, awesome, brother, love it. Um, so like, uh, before we get ready and uh and, and wrap up, I know I keep saying that, but I want to ask you some of the questions that I normally ask guests when I have them sure. on. Sure. Who are your top three musical artists? Oh boy! Oh boy! I know these are the um, toughest questions for musicians. Uh, I'm a huge U2 fan. Um, I, I I I'm a huge U2 fan. I, I I just love their music so much. So they're number one. Uh, oh my god. Um. I, I I love I love the Ramones. I love the Ramones uh, a lot. Their music is 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 incredible. Um, you know, Dave, I see David Bowie in my mind. I I want to see say say David Bowie, in, incredible artist. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Like I said, I'm I'm a I love music with a passion. Like I love music, so it's hard to really put people at the top. Um, I think that I would have to put you two at the top, though. From a a, a very young age, uh, I was I became a U two fan. Nice, and um, this will probably be another tough one. Then, is there a particular song that you feel has inspired you, or that um, you know, is uh, a go to whenever you need that, you know, uh, that pump, mm. that extra motivation? Um. Well, it it it's like an old school song that I, that I'll go to. Something like "My Michelle" <laughs> from, <laughs> from from Guns and Roses. Um, I don't know. You know, I I love the Police. You know, sometimes I'll just, I've been listening to a lot of Beatles lately. Um, you know, I, like when I'm in the gym, I'll, I'll listen to Lamb of God. I'll listen to Megadeth. Sweet. They're hard questions, you know. I never, I, I, I just never sat and ordered in my mind and, and, and did the arithmetic to be able to properly uh, display, you know, my my favorite, right. my favorite's hard, man. You Sometimes know, it changes from day to day. It's like it, you said, it's a feeling. It's what's grabbing you, you know. Yeah, so you know. I mean, I, I'm a weird cross of like. If you took Kurt Cobain, Bono, Johnny Rotten, Joey Ramone, Glenn Danzig, and just kind of smushed them all together with a little bit of Freddie Mercury and and Jim Morrison, you know that's where the idea of my stitches came up because Doyle and I would sit around and we would we would have this conversation like, you know, and I would say those things and we would laugh and you'd be like, yeah, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm like, yeah, it's like you guys went out and you, and you dug up all these, these, these dead bodies of these musicians and sewn them back together and you created me. And we were like, Oh, what a cool concept that is of, of like a sewn together scarecrow looking guy. Um, which is where this, then I said, I was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to start drawing stitches. Like, you know, I'm uh, like, you guys find different parts of me. Sweet. And then I uh, I know this is going to be good. What class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school? A mandatory class before you graduate high school 
should probably be some sort of like economic, like business, like a like a business type class. Um, yeah, because if if I think that if I had more of an understanding of economics and the way that business worked, like real estate and how you buy a house and all those things. I definitely would have had more of an understanding of the power that I had as a young man with the amount of money that I did. I didn't know all the things that were like the options that I had. I didn't, you know, I don't know what a 401k is. How do you buy a house? I didn't care. You know, that was never taught to me at all. You know, I went through, I went to an alternate high school. I went to school on a small bus, <laughs> but it was a, it was an arts and music based program so i learned a lot about music and art and and theater and performing and writing but not much about business or e- e- economics gotcha and then who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the man you are today my mom i i would i i give most of the credit to my mom the way that she raised me and the example that she was and, and, and is, I find myself saying a lot of the, the same things to my children. And, and when I see teachable moments, when I come across teachable moments, I find myself teaching and imparting the same things in the same way that, that my mother did to me because they were effective and really only through life experience that I truly understand them in a way that now I, I'm able to pass them on to, um, uh, my, my, my children. Um, I, I would really have to say that, you know, this is my mom. My life has been t- so tumultuous. There's been so many people that have come in and out of my life, yet no one that I can really, you know, put my finger on that that has been with me, you know, the whole time that has helped guide me and, and bring me through, and which is another reason that I have such faith and, and loyalty to God because when there was no one, you know, uh, I always felt that there was, there were times when I felt that there was no one, there was always that voice saying there is, there is someone and, and, and you are loved by, by this, by the most massive force that has ever been in all of, of creation because it, it is creation. You know, there's this, all of a sudden then what would flow into me was this enormity of, of love and power and strength that that is beyond my, my my human recognition, but I could I was always able to sense it in a way, and I found comfort in that. Um, you know, even though I've tumbled through life in a lot of ways, I really have. To, I've tumbled through life very Forrest Gumpish. Uh, so you know, my my mom, um, that's about it. There's no one else that that comes to mind that I can point to really. Nobody. You know, there's people that have come into my life that have taught me profound lessons that that I know were placed in my life. Somebody like Pete Steele, somebody like Dave Mustaine, somebody like my friend who who passed away when I was 18, who I think about every day. Like those people popped into my life. That's why I said like Forrest Gump, all these amazing people, some well-known, some not known at all, have popped into my life. And just these incredible lessons have been revealed to me and and I and I, I've been able to see through life experience how those experiences pushed me along a path that I didn't even know I was walking on. 
that I only got there again through discernment. Gotcha. And then, uh, favorite toy as a child. Uh, Voltron. I loved my Voltron. I was so stoked when I got all the lions. Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I used to love watching that cartoon before heading off to school and everything. That and Battlestar yeah. Galactica were like yeah. two of my favorites, man. G.I. Joe, they would shoot the shit out of everybody, but no one would get shot. <laughs> yeah, they're worse than stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, we touched on it earlier, um, but, you know, we've even before what's going on in the Ukraine right now, we've had military deployed all across the world, our, our, our soldiers and sailors and service members um what what message do you have for all, any of our brothers and sisters serving overseas right now may god be with you and protect you and get you home safe to your family nobody wants war war is war is you know one of the things that that's scary that you hear are, are all of these people that know nothing of violence and that know nothing of war and, 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 you know, people who truly know violence and, and, and great warriors who really know what battle and, and combat actually is usually want no part in it because it is yeah. so awful and horrible. And it is, um, I, I, I pray for every human soul except for the for the for the you know for the evil ones that are that are truly doing evil against <laughs> I even pray for them a bit uh, but it's a scary moment it really is a scary moment for for our world for our country for our military for for our children for our, for our our history there's madmen at the wheel there's absolute madmen at the at the wheel you listen to mainstream media and they're lying they're 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 lying about huge gaping facts and things that people need to have to understand this conflict and what is actually happening and if we this isn't like sleepwalk this isn't like you know this isn't like the iraq war or afghanistan this is is just this is like you know in 45 minutes after you know, half the planet will be dead. We, 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 if this, if this escalates into a nuclear conflict. Um, so, so I, I just, I, I pray for peace and, and I pray that we can, we can build a, a better world for, for our children. I, I lived a great, I lived a great life. My life is just fantastic and I don't want to die. I'm ready to die. And, and, you know, I, I never kill myself, but m my point is, is that I've lived a good life. It's not about me and the things that I want to do. And, and that's why I'm, I'm so, I'm able to sacrifice the things that, that I do sacrifice. Again, I live on a farm. I got enough food here for a year. I raise animals and stuff. I could live off the land and take care of my family. So they could take everything from me and I just go little house on the prairie, baby. Um, <laughs> I got my Alexa pure filter, bitch. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so, so yeah, um, it's a, it's a scary time and, and you know, what, what, what can I say? It, it, we're, we're truly fight. You know, people think that the Nazis were, were defeated in after world no. war two in a lot of ways, 
uh, they they were defeated, but they just uh, they were recruited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it continued. It it didn't yeah. go away. It, the war ended, but it didn't go away, and and it's here again. It's here again. That's one thing I absolutely do agree with is the denazification of of those areas over there. They're real Nazis um, over there. I know that's a whole different conversation, but <laughs> yeah. there's just huge gaps yeah. that of information that people aren't getting about what's happening with this conflict. It's just, oh, Russia, Russia is, is what? Russia wants to take over the world? That, that's, not, that's not real. Russia doesn't want to take over the, the world. No, uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I've been following some of the same intel as you and Frank, you know? So um, another thing that I'm glad we're, we're getting a, a chance to, to talk and connect. Um, and like I said, we could do other, definitely have you on again for future, future ones to, to talk yeah. on, on so many subjects. And there is something I do want to, when we go off the air here, I want to, uh, uh, run by you too before before you before you log off but uh um if any of the the fans out there want or any of the the listeners are new to learning about you and want to um follow what you're doing uh pick up some of your music support your merch support your cause and try and uh catch you at one of these shows on the upcoming tour where would you send them officialmichaelgraves.com if you go over to officialmichaelgraves.com, all of my social sites are there. Articles that you can read, videos, links to music, officialmichaelgraves.com, and sign up for the newsletter when it when it pops up there too. We just put up the ad mat, the poster for the um for the uh for for the tour. And there's a video on there, you know, you can check out the different packages that that I offer and and how they're they're set up and 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 really, even if you're not interested in it, you could just see the uniqueness of what I do as a musician, as an artist, as an entertainer, uh, and uh, apparently as an evangelist. So, <laughs> officialmichaelgrays.com. Awesome, man. And that was that's one of the things I want to talk talk to you about before uh, we log off here. But uh, one last favor I want to ask you though before yeah. we uh, we we end the broadcast part. Uh huh. Um, you mind cutting a promo ID for the show? Just introduce yourself and you're listening to today's boondoggle. Sure. Hi, I'm Michael Graves and you're listening to today's boondoggle. Awesome, brother. Man, I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for being so generous with your time. It's a great conversation. It was, uh, yeah. like I said, so much more I want to talk about. But uh, Get in I'll, touch, uh, man. Let me know when, when you jump on and if you want to do a, you know, whatever. Uh, I've you know, let me know the topic that you want to breach and, and I'll come on and we'll, we'll shoot the shit. Sounds good, man. Well, the world is changing. I feel old and strange. It feels like no one's brave Center of the tempest 
Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our website, DomainCLE.com or Boondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash Today's Boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via todaysboondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning into this week's today's boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's boondoggle.